Okay, if you have your Bible, please turn to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament, and uh, we're going to be reading from that. This uh, title of our message today is Divorce. There you go. All right. Uh, I never thought that I would ever watch Disney princess movies with my little girl. As a matter of fact, before I had a little girl, I had decided that there's no way. I was not going to ever watch Disney princess movies if I ever had a little girl. And now I know them all by heart and I know all the songs. So I had this vision of myself when I was younger that I would be like this tough guy with a tattoo riding a Harley in an awesome four by four. And now I'm just a dad with a minivan, like in the minivan singing, let it go, let it go. You know, just singing along with my kids. And so that's pretty sad that that's how my life turned out. But, um, but I love watching the movies with her because it gives her such joy. But sometimes I just wonder, you know, guys, what is the message that these little Disney movies, these little uh, romantic movies are giving our daughters about relationships and romance? I'm pretty sure it's completely perverted. And let me just give you a few examples of this. Cinderella. Come on, man. You know, my daughter, when she watches Cinderella, she just sees a disadvantaged girl who falls in love with Prince Charming, but that's not how I see it. I see the message that if you want to rise yourself, get out of poverty, if you get all that hard work, just marry rich. That's not a message we want to be giving our kids. Or how about Sleeping Beauty? Now, this one is really disturbing, folks. She sees a beautiful princess who needs to be awoken by true love's kiss. And I just see the message that it's okay to make out with people who are in a coma. That's not right. I'm pretty sure that's illegal in most states. And what about Snow White? That's harmless, right? No, it's not. Think about it, guys. A young woman with exceeding beauty is a threat to an older woman who used to be the champ of exceeding beauty, and now Snow gets whacked as a result. And the movie ends with her also in a coma, some dude trying to make out with her, except this time it's worse because there are seven little forest trolls watching. That's not right. (laughs) <laughs> but the one I hate the most is this Belle and the Beauty and the Beast. I think this is the most offensive to me because my daughter just sees a lovely, independent little book nerd who is able to look past the gruff and the grizz and really see his true inner beauty and his true inner character. That's not what I see. You know what message I see is that, listen, ladies, if you really try hard enough, you really can change that man. That's not right. But it's not just our kids' movies that sort of condition our kids to think a certain way about romance and how relationships work. It's also the rom-coms. How many of you guys like the romantic comedies? Me and my wife watch them. Hey, you know, between 1995 and 2005 was sort of the heyday, the golden age of romantic comedies, these sort of chick flick rom-coms. And uh, there was a study done by a university in Edinburgh. It was a significant study which showed that people who subsisted off of these kind of movies had all kinds of false notions of what romantic relationships were. And the biggest one was this, is that you should dump the guy you're working hard because the guy that who's, you know, like you're in a relationship when it's hard work, that guy's not right for you. You need to meet your one true fated love and then the both of you will have an effortless romance for the rest of your life. Is that true? No, that's wrong. 
That's wrong. So I think America, in America, we have been trained from day one to have unrealistic expectations of what a real God-honoring, lasting relationship is supposed to look like. And ultimately, some people are so wrecked, they are so ruined by the fantasy that they grew up with when they get into a real marriage and how much work it is to keep that marriage, the love and the passion in that marriage hot. Sometimes people are so disappointed that they give up on the marriage. They split, they divorce. We've all heard the statistics. 50% of all marriages in America end in, end in divorce. That's staggeringly high. For second and third marriages, that percentage goes up exponentially between 60 and 70%. And so here's what I want you to understand, folks. Here's, here's what it is. Passion is easy, but the habits of passion are not. In other words, everyone can fall in love very easily. But then cultivating the habits and skills of a passionate relationship, that's not easy. That takes work. And so today we're going to address what the Bible says about the issue of couples who ultimately throw in the towel and they give up and they split and they divorce. And in Matthew 19, we're going to talk about three things, okay? We're going to talk about Jesus' standard we're going to talk about Jesus' concession, and then we're going to talk about Jesus' example. What kind of example does Jesus set for us religious folk when it comes to those who have experienced this? So let's read in Matthew 19. It says in verse 3, some Pharisees, these are religious leaders, snarky, angry, legalistic guys. Some Pharisees came to him, Jesus, to test him. So they didn't come because they wanted to have a nice theological discussion. They, come, they came because they wanted to actually trap him and test him. They said, uh, teacher, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any cause? He answered, uh, have you not read that the one who made them at the beginning made them male and female? He's quoting Genesis chapter 2. And said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one Flesh. So they are no longer two, they're one, one person. Therefore, God has joined them together, so let no man separate them. They said to him, So then, why in Deuteronomy chapter 24, that's what they're quoting, why did Moses command us to give a certificate or a bill of dismissal to divorce her? Jesus said, Come on, guys, think about it. It was because you were evil. It was because your hearts were hardened toward God that Moses allowed you to give your, your wives a bill of divorce. But at the beginning, this, it wasn't like this. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for uh, marital unchastity and marries another commits adultery. So what does Jesus do? Jesus gives us some things that we need to unpack about the issue of divorce here. So here are three background facts you need to know about this chapter in Matthew 19. Here it is. That is, divorce was rampant in their culture. It was just as rampant in their culture as it is today. In fact, among the Greeks, it was even worse and, but it was pretty bad among the Jews, and you would think it, that it wouldn't be, but they based it on passages like this Deut Deuteronomy 24 passage that is very vague, and they tried to make up a bunch of rules to sort of give them an off, give them uh, lots of exit ramps when relationships got hard. So Jesus is addressing a culture where divorce was rampant, just like ours. The question is it, that the Pharisee poses, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason, comes from an internal squabble that the Pharisees, two Pharisaic parties are having between each other. There's the liberal party of Hillel. And the liberal party of Hillel says that a man may divorce a woman for any reason. 
So these Pharisees, are, they're liberal theologians, and they have said in the Mishnah, in their writings, that uh, a man may divorce his wife even if she burns his toast. I think we would all probably be uh, divorced if, uh, if it came down to petty stuff like that. But the Shammaites, they were a different Pharisaic party. The Shammaites, or the followers of Shammai, they said, no, what Moses said was only in the case of adultery can a person divorce and remarry. And so they were more conservative. So that is the question that is before Jesus between these two sort of arguing, uh, uh, dissenting views among the Pharisees. Now, the alternate in the Old Testament, the alternative to being quietly divorced in the case of adultery was, according to the book of Numbers, to be stoned to death. And by stoned, I don't mean that kind of stoned. I mean to find yourself under a pile of rocks. And so this was a concession. This, you know, divorce was a, an alternative to a very harsh standard set up in the Old Testament. But had Jesus immediately answered, well, only because uh, divorce is only uh, legal, only in the case of adultery. Had Jesus said that, then he could have been painted as an extremist. This is why Matthew says it was a test. It was a trap, really. And they wanted to, the Hillelites wanted to paint Jesus as a radical conservative extremist who was interpreting their national constitution too extreme. And so Jesus does not take the bait. Notice he doesn't take the bait. Instead, he gives them a surprising answer and is straight from their Torah, straight from their law books, is straight from their history, is straight from their story, okay? So here are some observations we make from the text on the issue of divorce and remarriage. Number one, we should preach God's standard on the matter. That's number one, because that's the first thing Jesus does. The first thing Jesus does is he appeals to the standard. Now, notice Jesus' response is to immediately cite the Genesis text. He says, this is not how it was in the beginning. In the beginning, it was one man, one wife for life. And then, essentially, what he is saying is, guys, fellows, you are quibbling over a broken system. You're squabbling over the debris of a system that is temporary and wrecked and ruined, and I have not come to manage the debris. I have not come to manage that. I've come to restore paradise. You see, the Pharisees, the Jewish rabbis, believe that when the Messiah, the true Messiah, comes, he would restore paradise. And so Jesus' first answer is not as a rabbi. He takes his rabbi hat off. He puts his Messiah hat on. He says, I'm the Messiah. Go back and read Genesis. We're going back to the garden. God's gold standard for marriage relationships is one husband, one wife for life. So he lays it out there. He doesn't take the bait. But why is this standard important? Well, if you go back and you read Genesis chapter 2, it says this. God made male and female... And it says, in his likeness, he made them. So what is the greatest expression of the image of God on earth? It is male and female in a God-honoring relationship. That is the greatest expression of the image of God on the planet. And our original vocation was to represent God to the world. And we do that best when we're together in harmonious heterosexual relationships. And so the first reason why that is so important to God is because we, together, are the image of God. And divorce destroys that image. Divorce diminishes that image. We are supposed to be the living expression of God's communal nature. We're supposed to be the living expression of God's authority. 
And we're supposed to be the living expression of God's character in the world. And what divorce does is it destroys community. The foundation of community is the home. It's the family. It's a healthy, God-honoring marriage. And divorce destroys that image. It also diminishes our authority. Ask anyone who's been through a divorce how hard it is to parent kids after a divorce. They're they're experiencing diminished authority. It diminishes our God-given authority to subdue and fill the earth. And it wrecks our character. In every experience that I've ever walked through with a couple, divorce always brings out the worst in them. Things that you would never guess would be possible. So God hates divorce, according to Malachi chapter 4. God hates divorce. Why does he hate divorce? Because he made us in his image and mutuality. And the mutual expression of male and female together, we are in his image. We're the greatest expression of his image. And so God doesn't want anything to diminish that or destroy that. But it's also because of what we talked about a few weeks ago in Ephesians chapter 5. Remember that passage? Kurt talked from that passage. And basically what Paul says is this. um, Jesus sacrificed himself for the church. The church gives itself for Jesus. And that's what a marriage is supposed to look like. And he says, and when your marriages look like this, you look like Jesus. You look like the church. So it's not just that we are the image of God. We're the image of his son, Jesus, together in God-honoring relationships. And this is why, my friends, that God wants us, wants our marriages to be great marriages. And this is why he wants us to avoid divorce. So God originally intended one husband, one wife for life. That's God's gold standard. Now, in the text, Jesus gives a concession. Now he puts on his rabbi hat. Now he's a Torah teacher interpreting the Old Testament. And now he says, okay, so I'm the Messiah. I'm going to restore the world. Here's my standard. Here's the way God originally created the world. It's supposed to be like this. But in the case of adultery, you can divorce and remarry. It is permissible. And so the the million-dollar question today is this. What, in what cases, in what circumstances are we free to divorce and remarry and not be sent? That's the question. That's what they're asking. That's what we're asking today. Isn't that, hasn't that been on your mind? In what cases is it permissible for us to divorce and remarry and not be sent? Jesus answers in the case of adultery. So Jesus rejects the Hillel's liberal The Hillelites' liberal interpretation of the Old Testament text, the Deuteronomy 24 text, he rejects that. He says, no, you can't just divorce for any uh, higgly-piggly reason, for any old reason. You can't do that. Only in the case of adultery. So he is putting a constraint on a divorce-happy Jewish culture. And so should we. We should also reject the liberalism of our day who would say that, well, people, marriage doesn't really matter. Just if you don't like your marriage, just get out of it, get a new one. No, that interpretation is wrong. And here's why, because it depreciates what God says is sacred. God says, this thing that I have made, this institution, which by the way, was the first institution that God did create, this thing is holy. This thing is sacred. And I don't want you entering it casually or exiting it casually because it is a sacred thing. And B, because it inaccurately interprets Moses' statement. So Jesus makes it clear. The gold standard, God's gold standard, is one husband, one wife for life. Jesus also makes it clear 
that there's a concession, there's a provision for divorce and remarriage. And Paul expands this in 1 Corinthians 7. You can read it for yourself, particularly in verse 15 when he talks about abandonment. Paul says, well, yeah, in addition to adultery, actually abandonment, and I would also include in that abuse, because abuse is a form of abuse is actually abandonment of the marital vows. And so I think most churches fail in one of two ways. Many churches who fail in this area, they fail their people in one of two ways. First of all, they either affirm the liberalism of our culture, which says a person should be free to marry and remarry as many times as they like. That's a failure. But I also think it's a failure for a fundamentalist church to say, to treat divorcees like second-class citizens because they only teach the teaching of Jesus, which is an unrelenting standard, but they don't teach the example of Jesus. And they don't follow the example of Jesus. And what is that? Here it is. Number three, we should follow Jesus' example of grace and restoration. So the biggest mistake I think a lot of Christians make in this regard is that they overread the Malachi passage. God says, yes, I hate divorce for those reasons I just gave you. God says, I hate divorce, but he doesn't hate the divorcee. He doesn't hate the person who's experienced it no more than he hates you for your sin. He doesn't hate you. He wants to restore you through grace and truth. And so God wants to restore people. He is in the business of restoring people. So we must not just teach Jesus' standard. We must not just teach Jesus' teaching on the matter. We must follow Jesus' example. And what was Jesus' example? What was it? Go to John chapter 4. In John chapter 4, Jesus takes an off-ramp, and he off-ramps into a forbidden territory called Samaria. And what does he do when he gets to Samaria? He meets a woman called, we, all, all we, know, we don't even know her name. She's just called a Samaritan woman. Interesting. Well, this was a scandal. Jewish rabbis could not talk to women in public. They certainly couldn't talk to apostate women. They certainly couldn't talk to heretical women like this, this half-breed Samaritan. Oh, that's horrible. And so <laughs> Jesus sovereignly knows she's there. He sits down to have a conversation with him, and so they get into a theological debate. So the first thing Jesus does is he tells her, no, actually, you're wrong about pretty much everything you know. You're wrong. He does. He tells her that. He says, no, you don't know what you're talking about. So he corrects her theology, but then he convicts her for her sin. Jesus doesn't lower God's standard. Read that story. He doesn't lower God's standard. He says, you know what? You've been married five times. Five. By show of hand. Anybody been married five times? No, just kidding. Don't show your hands. But I bet she's got all of you beat. She's been married five times. And then Jesus said, and you didn't even bother to marry the guy that you're shacking up with now. And she is crushed by this. She goes, how can you possibly? I just met you. How could you know that, sir? I perceive that you are a prophet. And what does Jesus do? Does he go back and follow the book of Numbers and pick up a giant rock and crack her upside the head with it? Does he whack her with the commandment tablet? No. He shows her un relenting, scandalous grace and forgiveness. And she becomes the evangelist for Jesus in her home village. She goes back to her village and evangelizes the whole village. You, should, you guys should hear about this guy. So, so what is Jesus' standard? One husband, one wife for life. What is his concession? Adultery, abandonment, abuse. And what is his example? Restoration for the sinner. 
Restoration for the person who is broken and needs God's power. So Jesus helps these Pharisees in Matthew chapter 19 to see that they are all asking the wrong questions. They're not even asking the right questions. The right question is, does God have the power to restore and heal a person back to life? And the answer is, the Messiah has come. Yeah. He could put your life back together. And how does he do that? He does that because he died on a cross and he rose three days later and he has sent us the power of the Holy Spirit to restore our relationships. And so you may be sitting here today and you might be in a marriage where you've contemplated the D word and it's still on the table and you're still not sure. But you need to know by the power of God's spirit because of the death and the resurrection of Jesus, the power of hell's system, the power of this world doesn't have any power over your marriage. The power of this world doesn't have any power over your relationships. Jesus has set you free, as this song we're going to sing at the very end of this service, from the power of hell. He set you free from it. Amen? And you might be here, and you might have already gone through a divorce, and maybe that deal is done. You might be on your second or maybe your third marriage, and you're not sure. You're like, Pastor Jeff, I, <laughs> I've already been through a marriage, and it wasn't because of adultery. It wasn't because of abuse or abandonment. I didn't meet the criteria for Jesus' concessions, but I got news for you. You're not some eternal sinner. You're not some eternal sinner. Divorce and remarriage is not the unpardonable sin. Jesus is available today to forgive you, to cleanse you, to restore you to righteousness. And that's the message of the gospel today. And you may be here, and you're just hurting. You said, I am one of those. I talked to a couple earlier, and, and, and both of their spouses committed adultery on them, and that's how they ended up getting together. And they just told me this morning, oh, it was so freeing to hear that in God's eyes, our marriage is not an act of sin. And I'm like, no, it's not. And I'm here to tell you today that God has the power to restore that which was broken. Jesus doesn't want to manage the debris of your broken marriage. Jesus wants to restore you back to paradise. You want a little bit of paradise in your marriage? Well, Jesus can give it to you. You can have it. It's going to cost you. It's going to cost you some work. Hard work, sweat equity, but you can cultivate the habits of passion and you can restore the power of paradise back to your marriage. Amen? Let's pray. God, I know that you are present by your Holy Spirit right now. I know that I know you are. And I know in a crowd this size, there are some people who are dealing with some hurt, some pain this morning. Either guilt they've been carrying around because they feel like they've gone through an unauthorized divorce and remarriage, or maybe some guilt or some shame that they're carrying around for something they did to end a marriage. And I, I want you, by your Holy Spirit, Lord, we ask you to move on those people, move on those hearts, and as they just confess their need for you, confess their sin, confess whatever it is they need to get off their chest, will you just move on them by the Holy Spirit right now and just begin a process of healing and restoration? Will you do that, Lord, by the power of the Spirit? We believe in faith that you will. And I know that there are some of you today, and you're here. And man, you don't even know the reason why. 
You don't even know that you couldn't even sit here and tell me why it happened, but it did. And you have been trying to shuffle the debris and manage it and file it and just contain it. But the truth is, is that Jesus doesn't want to do that. What Jesus wants to do is he wants to do a total work of restoration in your heart. Will you just open your heart to that right now? We just say, God, would you come and heal, begin the healing process? Will you wash out the dregs, wash it away? The sin, the failure, the shame, the guilt that I have felt, will you just wash it away by the Spirit right now, Lord? And I reach out for it. Because like that Samaritan woman, I need uncommon grace. I need your unrelenting grace for me this morning. And some of you are still married. You're not sure what's going to happen in your marriage right now. And you're taking steps. You're here. Maybe you signed up for marriage mentoring or counseling, or maybe you've tried to go to divorce care, but but you're doing something. You're making one little step. Can I encourage you right now? Jesus is here to meet you. He wants to transform your relationship. He wants to restore paradise back to your home. Will you just commit to letting him do that right now? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This last song we're going to sing, I want it to be your anthem this morning. Even if you don't know the words, let the words wash over you. Just listen to them. But I want it to be your anthem. I want you to let it be your rebel yell. To say the debris of that broken system is not going to take me. It's not going to take my marriage. It's not going to take my faith. Today I'm submitting and I'm turning it all over to Jesus. And the power of hell that we're going to sing about that is broken in this song, we're going to sing about that. Let that be your cry. The cry of your heart today, okay? I'm going to have the ushers come up. And we're going to take the offering this morning. We're going to give and we're going to sing. And I want you with all of your heart today, just reach out to God with everything you've got in you, okay? Let's give and let's worship. All right. Tell you what, I love that song. I almost led you in it, but I'm sorry. I didn't realize that was the end of the song. But hey, listen, I love that song because it's so triumphant. And that's what I want you to have today. Before you leave, I just want you to walk out that door feeling a sense that Jesus has paid the debt. He's paid it. And you don't have to go through the brokenness. You don't have to experience it. And if you have, he can restore you back to life. And that's the message today through his death and resurrection. And listen, a couple of resources I want to make you aware of. As Kurt said, back on that table there, please stop by. If you need some help, if you need a support group, we have some divorce care information. We have the most amazing leaders, the most caring, shepherding hearts that lead that group on a Monday night. And we want you to come. We want you to come and experience the healing and the restoration that you can experience. Also, Grief Share is back on that table. Pure Desire back there. And uh, listen, if you came today and you made a decision for Jesus and you're starting your, your life with Jesus afresh and anew, we want to encourage you to pick up one of these packets on the back table. Uh, it's a new believer's packet. It has some information in there to help you get started in your walk with Jesus. Also, we'll have some people down front, some powerful people who want to pray over you if you need prayer. Communion is on the sides. Hey, guys, go. Go this week and be restored back to life, okay? God bless you. Have a great week.